Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you take the time to educate yourself about important issues. This week's guest is Khalil Green, who is the first black student body president at Yale University. I was really interested to talk to him about his work in student government and to talk with him about the recent insurrection that took place at our nation's capital. So. Without further ado, let's get started. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, as a quick introduction, so my name is Khalil. I am currently a senior at Yale, but I'm taking a semester off to work on a few projects of my own and just hopefully hold out for a fall semester where we're actually on campus. Fingers crossed that happens. Uh, I'm from Maryland, so right outside of Washington, D.C. I'm currently majoring in, the, in history with a specific focus on social change and social movements throughout American history. So that's kind of like what my academic as well as my like professional and social media interests lie. And of, in terms of topics I like talking about, I, mean, I love talking obviously about like race politics and history and black culture. I'd say the other two main pillars of what I hope to just use my platform for our advocating around education and youth. So education policy, both as it relates to like K through 12 education and higher education in colleges and then youth. So there's an intersection between like youth and education, but also specifically trying to get more young people below the age of 18 and like a voter age involved in politics and advocacy and specifically literate. So they understand how the American political system works and how they can use it to advance their causes. I want to start off by talking about your impressive term as student body president. So first, I'd like to talk about your fundraising efforts through the Yale Together movement. Can you explain that movement and tell me about the outcomes of your efforts? Because it was a really, really impressive campaign. Yeah, so I can start with Yale Together. Yale Together definitely came towards the end of my term, but what it was is after the death of George Floyd, there was obviously a scramble for organizations, both student organizations and corporations and even the government, political organizations, to kind of reckon with what happened and respond to it. And in student government at Yale, I kind of like describe student government for the past however many years, decades even, as pretty much really like moderate, didn't speak on political topics. Definitely people joined the student government body just to get like recommendations from the higher ups and go. So there was a lot of issues that happened on campus from renaming a residential college building that was named after John C. Calhoun, who was a huge proponent of slavery, all the way up to like ethnic studies. And a lot of these things, the student body president at the time, whoever they were, did not speak up or try to purposefully and intently stay out of it, quote unquote. Uh, that was something that I campaigned against. I was like, when I'm in office, I'm going to be a part of the protest. I'm going to be advocating. I'm going to do whatever I can. And I made sure to stick with that. There are multiple examples, but once again, I'll localize it to Yale together. But after the George Floyd incident, one person, even my executive board was like, okay, like, when are we going to write a letter? When are we going to write a statement? Like, what is it going to say? Like, how are we going to, like, show solidarity? And I was literally like, I am not writing a letter. Like, that's not going to do anything for anyone. I don't think the protesters were calling for letters. I don't think anyone in their mind thought that that was going to be the, even a good first step, honestly. I think 
that's something that I, even abstracting outwards, I think how the protests were interpreted by certain leaders and certain people with power is always weird to me. Like, for example, a lot of what came out of the protest was talking about like diversity and equity in terms of getting like a chief diversity officer at a company, which like is a good thing. Like, no, no, no problems with that. But I'm sure that they very much avoided criminal justice reform and like advocating for that. Some companies definitely did, but others didn't. Um, but that was something that I was going to say, like, was not up for debate. Like, I was not going to use sort of optically nice way of showing solidarity over something that was substantial. So I was like, you know, we, at least the least that we can do is raise money, dollars, and concretely donate that to organizations that are doing work for these communities specifically around racial justice and racial progress and criminal justice reform inside of majority black and brown communities. So the idea that I had was tying that to how we were kicked off of campus in March. So like obviously a lot of student groups are hundreds of student groups and they all have a lot of money. Um, and there was a whole like half a semester that they didn't spend their money. So I was like all this money that was going towards like pizza and beer and cakes and whatever they have you student like student group meetings. We can use that. We can pull it and then we can donate that. So the big question was how do we get every single student organization to donate it and how can we maximize our funds? So I just had to like do a lot of outreach independently, bring people on board. The idea that we used to kind of unite everyone was to not make it a whole student government initiative, but to make it something called Yale Together. So it was a broader message and a broader movement. And that got over 80 plus student organizations on board and to donate $30,000 like at the onset. So then I thought after that was like, okay, hey, we have this a lot of money, but how can we like make it more? So I opened up a GoFundMe and then I had all the student organizations donate the $30,000. So on the first day of the launch of the GoFundMe, it was already at $30,000. And I supplanted that with an op-ed called Yale Together, like named after the movement, where I talked about my experience and talked about how like these things relate to me as a first black student body president. And then we practically do doubled our donations from individuals and alumni who saw the op-ed. So I think in total, we raised about $57,000 for racial justice organizations after George Floyd through that movement. Wow, that's a great project. Congratulations to you and to everyone involved. That's amazing. I also want to talk about the six affinity networks that you developed during your term. I would love to know more about that project and its outcomes as well. Yeah, so that project was specifically to create like internal communities within student government to foster more diverse voices, especially coming from like historically excluded and marginalized groups. So the issue, obviously, like I was the first black student body president. I don't think we've ever had a Latino or Native American student body president. There wasn't a female student body president for like 10 years before the last one. So it's been like a huge issue with diversity in student government generally. So my idea was to create affinity groups. And the affinity groups are just like, once again, like internal group subcommittees with two purposes. One is to serve as a social space for marginalized groups within student government. So for example, we were able to have like a Black History Month meetup with the Black Affinity Network where we just like got food and like talked and talked about our experience with student government, talked about hardships we faced and like ideas that we had for the future and how we can best support one another. So that was one tenant was like the internal community that it fostered. And then two is recruitment. So for example, let's say for the Women's Affinity Network around the time of elections, the leader of that network and that group held like special info sessions about being a woman in politics and how campaigning and all of that is a lot harder because of bias and prejudice and how to like either work around it or combat it. And it talked to the Women's Network at Yale, the Women's Center, and like women alumni and got them involved to foster this whole kind of like, once again, community, but also like support network and empowerment circle 
for these diverse communities so that they feel comfortable running and sharing their voice when they're on student government. And it was something that hadn't been involved, like hadn't been done ever before. Uh, we started out with three, the Black Affinity Network, the Women's Affinity Network, and the First Generation Low Income Affinity Network. And I think by now we expand to around 10, including like Latino students, um, Indigenous students, queer, LGBTQ plus students, and a few other categories. But it was, it's been really successful so far and one of my passion projects. That's awesome. That's another great initiative. This next topic is tough, and we really don't have to talk about it too much if you don't want to. But I would really like to talk about the events that took place at the Capitol on January 6th. I know that you're a student of history and an advocate for social justice. So were you surprised by the events that transpired? Or what were your feelings around seeing those images and seeing that news? I wasn't surprised by any of the like events as in like the protests, or, like the really violent riots and whatever you want to, or, or definitely, I would definitely not call them protests. Let me be very intentional in my language. I think it was very much an insurrection. So actually, so what, yeah, so what I wasn't surprised about was like the gathering of the Trump supporters and all of that on the lawn. The thing that did surprise me, especially because I'm like raised in this area, my dad worked maybe like three blocks from the White House, like all my life. And you know that like, no matter who you are, like when you're in DC, like, you just know that there are federal agents around. Everyone tells, like, their secret service. Like, these are just very much things that we know. Like, you can't say certain things, in, or you're not supposed to say certain things in D.C. Um, the Capitol Police are obviously there, but there's, like, federal agents and, like, guards around because D.C. is such an important stronghold for, like, America. It's literally the Capitol and literally the Capitol building within the Capitol City. So what surprised me was the headline that they broke into the building because I, I just couldn't fathom how that happened. And I think, obviously, after, like, hours on Twitter and like discussions, like you start to realize how a lot of it was inadequate protection due to, of course, like this is not like a hundred percent confirmable with let's say like facts that we can find, but there seemed to be like some sort of affinity that the certain white Capitol police officers had with the insurrection by way of at least like what's visibly observed through videos of them moving the gates and taking selfies with the, with the, rioters and the the terrorists domestic terrorists that broke into the capitol um so that was what surprised me like the fact that they got into that building i think the fallout of this whole situation like my insights are just obviously the big one that everyone's talking about is how black lives matter protesters received a completely different response completely like unbalanced and a lot more aggressive from both the capitol police national guard as well as executive offices and like society at large and media treatment everything was so much worse for the black protesters uh, i think something else that's really important to like acknowledge is like how like who and how this pro like this was done it was not just breaking into the capitol building it was breaking into the capitol building during a confirmation for the president of the united states which is very political and very like intentional um and it was also with confederate flags being waved and i'm sure as you know i'm not sure if robert e. robert e. lee is who um your university is named after but like Obviously, Confederate flags are very, have a very racist history attached to them, especially very anti-American, honestly, because it was the, the Confederacy that was breaking off from the, the federal, like, in the United States. So, like, all of these things are kind of, like, adding up to, like, the layers of how shocking it was. But I'd say the entire sentiment and the fact that, like, there was a collection of people that went to these, like, this extent to combat Joe Biden and honestly racial progress in America wasn't surprising to me. It's just surprising that they got this far because the police didn't respond adequately on time. 
I completely agree. I was a little bit frustrated by people saying they were shocked or surprised because I felt like something like this had been building for some time. The extent was surprising to me, but not necessarily that it happened. I'd also like to get your take on the recent explosion of social media activism and if you think that's an effective form of activism for young people. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't like personally dislike when people post things. Let's say like the, oh, if this for Black Lives Matter, they would have got shot, which was like a common tweet slash like sentiment that was being reposted on people's stories. I don't think that's like particularly bad. What I think is bad is the fact that like people don't really do anything outside of that especially when the opportunity presents itself like very clearly, especially a place like in colleges, at least in college, especially in progressive universities, like you often are around students who are like activists 24 seven, who are doing things who are like need support, who are raising awareness on our projects. And if you're going to neglect them for like 364 days out of the year for like the one day when it's kind of a popular necessary thing to like repost and share optics, that's what's weird about it. It's like not, the posts and not like the graphics within themselves, but it's like what you do outside of that. Um, and that's something that I like, obviously want to highlight with the platform that I have. Like, I think I made a post where it was just like saying how um, people reposting the Capitol building attack and saying how it like hurts their heart. is basically the same thing as posting a black square last summer um, because those same people are probably not gonna be saying anything for the next, what, like, like a year about this incident or like anything incidents related to it. Um, and how it's like once every three blue moons that these people will come out of the hiding when it's like popular. I think that's what's egregious about it. And that's what people are calling out. And that, that's a central issue, really. Definitely. So kind of a follow up to that idea. What are some of the better ways that people can show their support and get involved in social movements? What are some of the ways that they can help besides maybe social media activism? Well, one is you can give money. Um, obviously, that was a central thing that I really thought was important to yell together, like, Words are important, obviously, but like money is more concrete and how it like helps in the immediate. I'd say also like actually get involved with like legal, like policy and legislation and advocacy. For example, like every county has county meetings and has like petitions that are being signed and has like stuff that's put up for votes and stuff. And I think it's important to inform yourself by either talking to your representatives. Once again, everyone has a congressperson. Everyone has mayors everyone has like certain officials that they have access to people just ignore that um talk to them share with them your beliefs and and how important these topics are to you because at the end of the day like black people only make up 13 percent of the population so like even if every single person was like 24 7 always advocating for every black person was advocating for themselves like it wouldn't be enough also just generally like racism and the problems around it are not spared by the black community we're like reacting to them so they definitely need to be like taken up by once again, white people, white people with power, especially to like talk to their people, talk to legislators, get involved with like political things. When you hear about, let's say something that has a disproportionate effect on minorities, like some sort of bill around COVID or something like that, like definitely talk about it and advocate and share and, and go on these social media platforms to learn, but don't let that be the end all be all of like what you're doing. I think it's about policy and economics and that's the best way to actually support substantially outside of like these one-off moments. Yeah, I like that idea of taking activism farther than just social media. Shifting gears a little bit, are you hopeful that the end of the Trump administration will usher in a new era of more social justice? Uh, no, sadly not. I think it's like a weird thing. I don't know, there's like a parable about, let me try to, I'm trying to think of what it was. It was something around like, there was 
someone who had like this jewel or something like some mythology story and there were two people who were trying to take it like the god of sleep and the god of like wind so like the god of wind was like blowing as hard as he could upon the person but the person didn't like let the jewel fall out of their hands but then the god of sleep came and put the person to sleep and the person was sleeping so that like the jewel like opened up and they just took it and left or something like that so my analogy like kind of relate to this situation i think in as much as obviously like the stir that trump caused and the controversy there was an awakening for a lot of people around these issues because of how polarizing of a person he was so like a perfect simple example is how like without what happened in the capitol then we wouldn't have seen all these people reposting and talking about how white supremacy is a thing how trumpism and this and the um how there's like a whole growing polarized very much like insurrection of domestic terrorists that are like attacking america like no one would be talking about this if that didn't happen and it would have been the case either way but i think with joe biden it's less so that like there's like wind blowing on us that we have to push back on and like we're very much standing firm because we know there's a like a enemy i think with joe biden it's more like people are gonna be put to sleep and start thinking that things are okay when obviously they aren't just because the news cycles and the president aren't stirring up animosity doesn't mean that there's like a bunch of racial progress happening. And I think it's even more important to realize this, especially in foreign policy, because whether or not like someone might think Biden's super progressive when it comes to domestic policy, which I don't, but even if someone did think that, like it didn't stop for example, someone like Obama from like having more drone strikes than like any other president in the Middle East or a lot of other harmful policies that are happening in like Latin America relates like immigration, but also like destabilizing governments. Like all of these things happen regardless of who's in office. And I think because Joe Biden is going to be in office and he has like this very much persona of uniting people, quote unquote, and all these other things, people are going to like take less of a critical eye upon what he's doing, which I think in the end will harm a lot of groups that have to suffer no matter who's in office um, and how much of a media stir is being caused. I think that's an interesting perspective, but are you hopeful that the media stir and the public rejection of the insurrection at the Capitol will open people's eyes to America's flaws and maybe the flaws in their own thinking as well? I, I'm not sure, honestly. I mean, like I would, I, like my gut probably reaction would be like, oh yes, it's like a hopeful thing that people are seeing this, but it's not, I don't, I think when I like really rationalize, like I don't think it's a great thing that like the only thing that's changing people's minds is when something crazy happens because it, what that tells me is that like for the next let's say like may let's say may is the most calm month and nothing insane happens like all the stuff is festering that if i'm trying to convince someone of something that they won't necessarily like take an extra step to be convinced whereas if it will take like a june where there's something horrible that happens generally in america for people to change their mind so i think what i'm learning from the situation is that the minds and hearts of those people are only changed when drastic, horrible things are happening. And that's not a hopeful insight for me. I think I'd rather see that, like, even during the calm, let's say before a storm, people are changing their minds. And that would be more hopeful because it would tell me that there's hope for progress and reform, even outside of, like, immense trauma and immense, like, fear throughout the nation. Definitely. You mentioned some about Yale changing the name of Calhoun College, and I go to Washington Lee University, named after General Robert E. Lee, where the name has been controversial and a topic of debate for a long time. What are your thoughts about schools that won't consider changing the names of buildings, institutions, programs, because they consider them to be a part of the school's tradition? Let me think about this for myself. I, I, I'd say that 
it's like a tiresome debate to be having, right? For example, with Calhoun, like there were years and years of the president of Yale saying that there was absolutely no way they're going to change the name. Like it was a part of the history. Like it is not the best way to like approach the situation. And I wasn't actually on campus at the time. It was like 2016. So it was when I was still in high school. But then I was even talking to the student body president at the time. And he was saying like, yeah, like there were definitely like great arguments on both sides, like whatever, whatever. But then now looking back on it, like you'll hear, like you'll see like even from what the president was arguing to like what students were saying, like there was really no other way for it to happen. Like it's just so bizarre that there was even a large conversation around this. And I just kind of feel about it today. Like if you're really putting your foot down and saying that tradition or other very like abstract concepts is more important than recognizing how like someone who either advocated for slavery or like fought in the South in the Civil War to protect slavery affects the students or the perception or just like the general culture and like values of the school, then that's like something where I'm like not necessarily going to be the one to debate. And it just tells me enough myself about like where your values lie and how like you rationalize certain decisions. So for schools that do that, it's, it's disappointing. I'm not surprised, but it's like something where I'll just avoid the conversation. Like I'm not going to like protest and something about that. Cause once again, I think there are priorities that the black community and like other marginalized communities have over renaming schools. I just think it's something where it shouldn't really even be a conversation at this point if people were like really paying attention, had immense empathy. Yeah, definitely. I think that's how a lot of people at my school feel as well. I have one signature question that I want to end with. Lots of young people, particularly college students, want to create change and make a difference in the world. What advice do you most want to share with these young people who may not know where to get started? who may not know where to start i say like i think once again like this goes back to me i never like denounce instagram activism or social media i think that's honestly a great place to start some accounts that i like are let me think afropuff chronicles i think is the name of it apc left northeast that talks more about like economics and other issues related to that there's like blavity and of course like so you know so you want to know about or something some of them obviously can have problems both in terms of like let's say like their content being too like comical and serious topics or like too simplified for complex topics but i think they're a great place to start learning and then once you start following those you'll see on their stories other people who start following and then you'll be able to learn a lot i also think another great resource is vox on youtube because they explain a lot of social problems vividly and then from there Honestly, there is a shortage of places for like young people to like actually take action and like understand that and it's different for every community. So there's nowhere for me to prescribe a general audience to go to. But I know for me, like there's student government and student members of like the county board. And I can just like hit them up if I wanted to learn more about something. Sometimes they have programs, but it is really hard to how to put it into practice. But I think honestly, learning is a good first step anyways for a beginner. So just finding all the information resources you can find on social media and otherwise would be really a great place to start. I think so many people felt helpless watching footage from the January 6th events at the Capitol and still might not be sure how to show their support or get involved with social justice movements. I really appreciated Khalil's advice and the way that he kept it so simple. Education is a great place to start for anyone who wants to make a change in this world. Consume content on social media, watch videos on YouTube, Talk to people who may know more than you. Every little bit counts because, very simply, 
Change comes when you take the time to educate yourself about important issues. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can follow Khalil on Instagram at khalil.green. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.